We all have questions about the Bible. At Milwaukee Chi Alpha, we want to take the questions we have about the Old Testament and use them to get us closer to Jesus and what we're calling the XA Learning Hour. And we strongly believe that if God is real, if what we believe is true, our questions will lead us back to Him. So let's start this journey in the XA Learning Hour, questioning the Old Testament. All right. Hey, we made it to week two of the XA Learning Hour, questioning the Old Testament. Um, Last week, Catherine gave us an introduction, which was a ton of stuff, um, and uh, and we'll be on the podcast soon um, if you want to go back and re-listen to some of those things because there was so much that she began to unpack, Um, and we're going to continue to examine some of the questions uh, that our Old Testament brings up um, today, we're going to look at the creation narratives in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. So I encourage you, to, uh, if you have your Bible with you, to have it out, pulled out. Um, I'm not going to be reading um, from all of it today, um, but we will be referencing it. So it would be very good if you could look at it, see it, um, and be quickly able to like track where we're going today. So Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we're going to do our best to kind of uh, examine some questions we might have from those two chapters. Um, I'm also going to be referencing uh, two resources that I found very helpful in this. One is the Bible Project. Um, If you don't know the Bible Project, you can just go on YouTube and all of their videos are are awesome um, about everything in the Bible. They have all kinds of stuff. Um, but they have some creation, they have a creation one, they also have a podcast on this, and they have uh, a, a bunch of other things. So I, I listen to some of their things. I also listen to a podcast called the Bema Podcast, um, another one that was very helpful for me in understanding another way of looking at Genesis 1 and 2 that I think is, is really good and profound. Um, so <clears throat> before we go any further, though, uh, what are your experiences or your understanding of the creation narratives in Genesis? Things you've taught, things you've thought, things you've questioned. Okay, no experience at all. <laughs> We don't read. <laughs> we, you know, we read the Bible here. We love the Bible. How many of you have read the Genesis chapters one and two, the two creation accounts, straight up, literally as it is written, and understood it to be literal as it is written? Whether you used to, you were taught that, you still do. It doesn't matter if you've heard that. Yeah. Okay. That's. <laughs> Almost everyone raised their hand. Uh, I think that's most of us in the room. I had them both up, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know more than I'm um, I've, yeah, uh, I, I learned uh, Genesis 1 and 2 to read it and read it literally as it is written. Um, now, I think we all kind of grasp the reality that it makes sense if we're going to read a book to read it as it is written. And to read it literally, um, that is a that makes sense. It's coherent of a thought. Um, however, before we like uh, 
uh, either scoff at that or just accept it fully. We have to understand a little bit of like, what do we mean when we say I read it literally? Um, to me, to read it literally, like you kind of have to acknowledge the fact that I read it literally um, with my own imagination depicting what I'm reading, as Caitlin was kind of describing. You could also, to read it literally, imagine how the original reader might have read it literally. Word for word, these words meant this. The pictures that are invoked here are meant to be exactly what happened. That's kind of how I understand reading it literally. But there's also those two different layers of from whose perspective are you reading it literally from? And as soon as you add another perspective, it's like, oh, wait, wait, maybe my own understanding of reading it literally is a little too narrow. We have to understand there's there's other perspectives that may be uh, read or interpreted as we read through the Bible. So um, w- there's a lot of layers when we when we're talking about understanding scripture, which Catherine did was talking about that last week. But it's going to be really important when we're looking at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 um, because there's a lot of imagery and it speaks directly about days. The first account is a seven-day uh, story. Um, and I'm curious uh, how, how much you've thought about chapter 1 as seven-day creation do you, have you thought much about that? Do you see it as seven days? Do you see it as like, well, it can't be seven days? Where are you at on that? Acknowledging that maybe there's another way of understanding days is literal. I remember the first time somebody, Dave Mowers, who is older and smarter Dave than me. Dave Mowers, A lot yes. smarter than me, still is a lot smarter than me. The first time he just casually said in conversation that most theologians nowadays don't view the seven days as literally seven days and I sat there like yeah uh uh-huh but in my mind just my mind was blown and had never considered that and um yeah yeah definitely had to walk away and think about that one for a little bit yeah yeah so we're gonna talk about that a little bit um this this concept of creation versus science um can often seem like they're pitting against each other because we have a lot of modern science and not so modern science. It's kind of looking at our creation, at our world, at our universe and saying, there's a lot here and digging up in the earth and saying, there's a lot of history here that we're uncovering. It seems to suggest all the tools that we have to understand what's happening um, in the research tends to suggest the earth is very, very, very old. And if you bring that into this, the, the conversation of Genesis 1, and if you've only understood Genesis 1 as, well, here's seven days, so God, the earth cannot be millions of years old, it must be four to 10,000 years old, then now we have a clash, right? We have a, a strong clash between creation and science. Um, and, and I think what's happened often enough is... Is, is as those two things come ahead at each other, um, instead of them helping like build on each other, they've kind of made us say, wait, one must be wrong. If this one is, and, and, and if you're a Christian, you've been taught this, this interpretation of Genesis chapter one, seven days, and then you hear that, well, actually scientists say this, if you have the assumption that one has to be wrong, then to be a Christian means I gotta I gotta trust my Bible, so I must reject this, or at the very least make you know find a way of saying well maybe they don't quite see fully, 
scientists weren't there at the beginning. And we kind of have all these arguments. And I've been to talks where people have very staunchly defended, even from a scientific perspective, that the seven-day creation must be seven days and that scientists have actually missed it. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's all garbage. There's, there's some things in there that, that are worth noting. Um, and the point is, like, yeah, our scientists weren't there. Maybe our methods aren't perfect, right? Like, there's, there's things that we should bring. And maybe sometimes we can acknowledge there's bias. Some people, as they're researching, might have a bias against any sort of faith or religion. But not all. Um, okay, so, we, so, so you might have that, that perspective of I have to choose one. And if I'm going to choose to pick one, I'm going to pick the Bible and trust that one. But then if you choose the other one, right, because what does that say about my Bible? I'm going to throw my Bible away. I'm, I, and, like, you know, like, there's a lot of crises of faith that come out of that perspective. Um, and so my hope here is actually to kind of help see that if God is a creator, as Genesis 1-1 tells us, and if he made our world in such a way that's so beautiful and intricate, and that as we discover this world, it should bring up questions for us, not only of the glory of God in his, cre- in his creation, we'll see him throughout all of it, but also maybe there's another way of looking at these texts um, from a different lens. And in fact, the literal seven days uh, might be a little bit more of a modern reading than, than it is an ancient reading. Um, and uh, something Catherine brought up last week um, was remembering that this was not a Western book. This was not written from a Western perspective of a linear thought, kind of scientific as far as like deductive reasoning. There's, it's not how this was written. It's not to the people it was written to. This book um, was written from a very an ancient Eastern perspective, um, using a whole bunch of different literary styles to communicate something. Um, and so if we start to ask the questions of our text, and maybe we're understanding it wrongly, which again, this is a good practice to do because we can't see clearly everything. We, we, we don't just take science's fact as, as far as like, oh, I trust that. And so I must, my Bible must be wrong. But we also don't say, oh, I know my Bible, this must be wrong. Maybe there's a room for us to say, okay, I don't know everything. And a sense of humility should, over, should come into our heart and our mind as we investigate. And one, that's one of the reasons why we have this class. Questioning the Old Testament is not to say, we're all terrible, this is terrible, that's terrible. But examine the reality of like, we don't know everything. And there are questions But if our God is true and he's alive, he's real, then as we ask questions, we will find him. Um, So uh, uh, here's a let's we're going to dive into a little bit of chapter one and and maybe unpack a little bit of the literary styles being used here. And I think it'll be helpful for us in understanding another way of reading Genesis one and two that isn't so much about how the world was created but who and why? Who created it and why? Who is this God and why has he created this creation? Um, so uh, if this is not a literal reading as far as like its days, then what is it? Um, I, I think one thing we can ask is, is it poetry? Um, and if, how many of you read poetry? Do you read poetry regularly? Okay, two of you, great. Anyone else? 
Okay, how many listen to music and like lyrics? Okay, that's... I read um, my kids' books, which rhyme. There's rhyming. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and music has a lot of poetry written into it, especially if you're looking at the lyrics and reflecting on the lyrics. There's a lot of images being invoked, but they might not be literal word for word, right? You know, a lot of things are sung as metaphors or images or just thoughts you know like they're just right yeah. poetry same you know like it's a lot of this it's it's a it's a vehicle to help us kind of get beyond sometimes it's it's not so much always literal sometimes it is but sometimes it isn't the way the reason i love poetry is it's more complex than us ah yeah the and complexity I, the same with like lyrics like there's a song that i've been learning like the imagery is unreal and sure yeah and it takes you like, takes you a moment to say, "Oh wait, what's going on here?" Yeah. And then you dig at a little bit. And then you cry. And that that's what's going to happen here in Genesis chapter one. That's what is, happens when I read the Bible? Too. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna take some uh, thought here to ask some questions of what is going on. But if it's poetry, what should we notice in poetry? Repetition. Repetition. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Like what? Yeah. English. <laughs> uh, English. We should notice English. <laughs> no. What did you say, Daniel? I said repetition. I said repetition. Definitely the structure of it. Yeah. Like what kind of poem? Because you know there's different kinds of poems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, obviously in English, we got like sonnets and a bunch of other things, which I can't remember right now. Like babies. So, what kind of poetry was there back then? Yeah. Some sort of rhythm or pattern. Yeah. Depending on the kind important. of. So. Look at Genesis 1, if you have your Bible, and uh, I think you'll notice some patterns, some rhythms. Um, what are some f- phrases, specifically from verse 3 to the end of the chapter? What rhythms stick out to you? What patterns are repeated over and over again? Are there certain phrases that you see? To win? Sorry. Verse 3 to the end of chapter 1. Okay. So you'll see in each kind of paragraph, they're already broken up usually for you, and what do you notice? What phrases are repeated. Anyone notice any phrases? What sticks God out? God said. And God said. Yeah, all until the end, where then God saw. Ooh, I like that. Okay. All right. What else? So, the imagery of light, lightness and darkness. Okay. Is We're, there? Yep. Like especially within like the first part of it, mm-hmm. because it's constantly light. Like there's the mentioning of light. Yeah, and if you notice later on, it's going to come back to that. Um, so, okay, what other what other things are repeated? Separation. Separation. Yeah. Okay. It was good. It was good. Okay. So we have repetition. Almost every uh, paragraph has given us a couple clues. Our, our translators have given us some clues to notice these things, right? And God said. And God said. Right. And God said, and it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning. Right? So there's things that are happening over and over again. And this would have been heard as a story, not read. Right? So people are hearing this. They're, they're being given these, ver- these cues of repetition. So, um, so I, think, I think we can notice here that there's some repetition and rhythms that cue us to maybe this is poetry. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's going to help us understand the point here. Another literary tool that we don't really see very often, we don't think of very often, but would have been a common practice in ancient literature was a chiasm or a chiasmus. Um, 
Have anyone ever heard of a, a chiasm? Self-practice in modern literature. We, yeah, I'm sure it is. But we, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. So um, a chiasm essentially is like, um, it's a way of structuring uh, your, your content, right? In such a way that the first piece correlates with another piece, almost like as if it's mirrored. There's two different kinds of chiasms. One is a direct mirror, so it would like, be like A, B, C, D, C, B, A, where those parts correlate to each other at the center. Another one is A, B, C, A, B, C. That's also a chiasm. I can't remember the actual names of those. You can go do some research. There's, there's smarter people about all of these. But um, in Genesis 1, we have a chiasm. Um, and how it's organized is we have the first day, which God creates light. He says, let there be light. But then after that, there's separation of light and dark. And then day two, it's separation of waters and land. And then day three, it's another separation um, that happens. Is it day three that separation happens? Yeah. Um, so uh, we have this, these first three days, a certain thing is happening, but there's three different kind of like scenes. One is about light and darkness. One is about... Um, uh, uh, waters and skies, and then the other one is about waters and land. Okay, so those kind of the three spheres that's happening. God is separating and organizing. And then days four, five, and six correlate with days one, two, and three. Um, so day four correlates with day one, talking about light and darkness, where he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And day five correlates with day two, um, talking about what fills the sky. Is uh, uh, birds and things, and day uh, six correlates with day three, with what fills the land, with animals and then humanity, um, and so we have a chiasm here. And the point of a chiasm was not only was it help you kind of organize things, but it pointed to the center. Like the point of the chiasm was to essentially be able to fold up on itself. At the center was like what the BEMA project calls the hidden treasure. Um, they, they, they are trying to help you see that whoever wrote this is pointing it to this middle point to seek out the, the, the point, the whole idea. Um, we're just going to come back around to that um, in a second. Um, but I wanted to help us see that how this is organized is very thoughtful. And it's, if we're going to look at it as just literally, this is how it was created, it doesn't really make sense that much because if you have vegetation coming up in day three, but in day four is when the sun is made, as far as we understand, the plants need sun to live, right? So it doesn't quite fit if we're going to ask the question, oh, this is how it was made, right? It doesn't really make sense. Now, God can do what he wants. And I'm not here to just say, like, you, you're absolutely wrong. If you think it's seven day, literally, like, if God created Adam as a man, then he created Adam at an age, Right, and if he God created something at an age, then couldn't he also create a world at an age with history written into it? Like I think God can absolutely do that, but the point of this I don't think is to tell us how. I don't think that's why Genesis one was written in this way, nor Genesis two. I think it's in fact to tell us who our God is and who we are. Also, to that point, if I can. Yeah. If we know anything about God, which granted isn't a whole ton, but if we know anything about God, he's a God that enjoys the process. Like in our own lives, very, very rarely does he just like, okay, we're done. He enjoys the process. Things that take time, 
well, don't, don't seem to bother him that he takes time. And so I think it, make, it would make sense as well that God would enjoy the process of our world being created rather yeah. than just history exists inside of it, you know? Yeah. He's a, he's a God of process and he's creative in that way. Um, and I love that. Um, uh, I think it's also worth noting here that this story as it is written for us, has been, was given to who? Well, who were the first per- people who were given the first five books of the, the Bible? Adam and Eve. No. <laughs> Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Not, it wasn't Adam and Eve. Who were they given to? Yeah. Um, Israelites. The Israelites. Do you know where they were given this? Yes. By tra- tradition. What tradition tells us? I just said Israel. In Israel, Okay. So they weren't in Israel yet when they, got, when they were given this, as a, according to rabbinic tradition. That, that's a good It's that's a, a good, good question. Yeah, it's a good guess. Because they do eventually end up in Israel. Yep. Uh, anyone, any other guesses or thoughts? Let me just look it up. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, uh, that yeah. looks like a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like two prayer arms. <laughs> so uh, traditionally, this was understood to be given at Mount Sinai. When they're in the desert. What did the Israelites just come out of when they're at Mount Sinai? Slavery. Slavery in Egypt. Right? They were enslaved for 400 years. Um, and what, imagine slavery for a minute. What was it, what's it like to, what would you imagine slavery to be like? Hell. <laughs> what would you do? Work. You other worked. people's work. Yeah, other people's work, right? Clean up yeah. Nothing and nothing else. No yep. Reward. Yeah. No reward. No rest. No rest. Yeah. There's no rest. Right. Imagine. Okay. An entire people group. We we know it's six hundred thousand men and their families. So that's that's the number of people that are now been liberated out of in, uh, enslavement by Egypt. And we know that in Exodus it tells us they made bricks. Like, that was their deal. They made bricks to build Egypt's empire. Um, and, and so, uh, and if they have no rest, they're only working for someone else, right? That's all they know. That's their, that's their concept of work, right? That's their concept of life, and it's a concept of purpose. They have longing for something else, but that's what they know. And now God has liberated them, pulled them out of slavery, and now they're being given a promise to go into a new land, to become a nation that is free, to be God's people. But the first thing God wants to tell them is Genesis chapter 1. Like they're at Mount Sinai, and, and this is what he wants the people to hear and to grasp. And it's a story about creation. But imagine if you're someone who has been enslaved, right? Your concept of work, your concept of, of identity... It's all skewed, right? You don't even know who you are, um, let alone how to be healthy, how to thrive. Um, and so I love that. Is if we are imagining that, and we can kind of look at this, this poem of uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we can see some really cool things. First, we see a God who creates, and that's really cool. Um, and he creates from chaos to order, right? So he's a, he's a God who brings order. He doesn't, he doesn't bring chaos, Right, um, and he's a God who speaks. I love that as an image. He's not just some essence out there. He speaks, 
And we, we know each other through our speaking, like, right? If I, don't, if I walk past Daniel in the hall and someone asks me, oh, do you know Daniel? I would say, I don't know him, right? Like maybe we made eye contact, maybe we even walked together. But until we actually talk to each other, I can't say I've met him. I don't know him, right? I know about him, maybe. I might know some things about him. But until, like, something about how, how we relate to each other, we relate to each other through speech. God relates to his creation through his speech, through his word. But there's another cue here that I think is really interesting. How do you, how do you understand a day, the start and the end of a day? Morning and night. Morning and night. Exactly 12 a.m. <laughs> right, yeah. In our, in our world, it's 12 a.m. It's absolutely unintuitive start, but yeah, morning Yeah, we, we perceive the beginning of our day being when we wake up. When we wake up. So when the sun comes up, yeah, yeah. yeah. How does Genesis one describe a day? Did anyone catch it? Um, I think Jonathan did actually. Jonathan, say it again. Say it again. There was evening and there was morning. Okay, it's flipped. Does anyone else find that interesting? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the delay. You guys are allowed to find it interesting. Yes, I think that's one of those things that reading through the Bible, um, I mean, there's a risk of we're so familiar with a passage that we don't even realize, but I do. I think it's one of those areas that reading through the Bible, it's one of those things that I'd be like, oh, I this is weird. I don't understand. Yeah. And would probably stop there instead of looking into it. Yeah. And, and then it's also because we hear it over and over. Yeah, we just go numb to it. We've maybe had the question once, but then we've always heard it that way and just don't ask the question mm-hmm. ever again. And it's just, I don't know. I've even, when I heard this, I went back and I had to look at it and said, does it say it that way? Because in my mind, I just kind of perceive it the way I understand morning and, and morning yeah, and night. It was morning but, and it was evening. But no, it's <laughs> evening and the morning. And uh, what the Bema Project, they pull this out and they... I think it's really beautiful what they say. They say that God wants these, this people who has who is only known slavery, he wants to undo their understanding of work and life and rhythm. And he talks about it through seven days because we understand a week is seven days. But he describes a whole new way of understanding that. At first, as a slave, right, who only knows your identity by what you produce and you do, God gives them a new way of understanding even a day by saying the first thing, the most vital thing to your day is rest. You start your day evening and you go to bed. And that's how ancient Israelites understood a day as it started when sun went down and you go to bed. And God is trying to bring in an understanding of a a different identity. Yeah, Daniel. Doesn't the Sabbath start Mm -hmm. at 6 p.m.? Yeah, yep. And we're going to get to Sabbath here in a second. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, that's, that's what, so, like, that's what Jeff is saying. Their calendar, their day. We say, like, the day starts when the sun comes up or midnight if you want to be really particular. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you said midnight. In ancient Judaism, the Israelites would have defined the day as starting when the sun went down. As soon as the sun went down, you were in a new day. Yeah. So... Wild. Yeah, I, I think it's really, really profound, especially like how liberating this must have felt to someone who's only known their uh, sense of value and worth by what they've done in the day yeah. 
So they wake up every day and they got to do their thing because they're slaves. And now God's saying, no, I want you, the first thing you do in a day, I want you to rest. Right? Um, and what's so cool is we get to the end of what God is now poetically describing a work week. And God on the seventh day, he rests. And it brings up some questions, right? Like, does God need rest? No, not if he's God, right? If he needed rest, he must not be God because he was depleted of something and he needed something. But that means he's dependent on something else other than himself. So he, he, he didn't need rest, right? So he, he rested for a different reason. And it says that he rested and he like looked at his work and he said it and, and enjoyed his work, okay? By this, uh, <clears throat> uh, on the end of the sixth day, so at the, at the end of his work, he said, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, right? And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth, the sixth day. In chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their best array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the, all the work of creating that he had done. Um, and it's as if Godlin, at the end of his work week, after creating it, this is all right, imagery, poet, poem, poetry, but he's helping his people understand a new way of life. And if God, at the end of his work week, looked back and looked all at his work and said, this is really good, and he blesses it, makes it holy and sacred. He's enjoying his creation, right? Now, remember, uh, we said this is a chiasm. The story is a chiasm. And if at the center of the chiasm is the, the nugget, <laughs> the hidden treasure, the point, um, uh, and, and it's hard to do it for us with an English translation because these aren't the actual words that were written. Um, and so you'll have to trust the person I'm trusting, which is the Bama Project here, um, that they say the middle of this chiasm is in the beginning of day four, so verse 14, it said, And God said that, the, that let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And that center word of the whole chiasm is sacred times. Um, and they go on to say that the word there that's being translated as sacred times is essentially a word for rest a word we use to describe Sabbath in other parts of scripture. It's a word of like, uh, also translated for like festivals and like this, right? It, a sacred time that God made holy for, uh, on the Sabbath day of enjoying creation and rest. And they make the point that all of this, this poem is about that reality. We were made to be to rest in God creating us and delighting in us. And all of the sacred times that God's going to command them to follow throughout the law are geared towards helping them remember who God is and who they are as created in his image, created delighted by God, not as a slave who just does the things that God wants them to do. It's very vital to us understanding Genesis chapter 1. We are created by God and delighted by God. He likes us. He wants us. He, he sees humanity and says, it is very good. Everything else in creation, he says, good. Right? He loves his creation. And of, a, of humanity, he says, it is very good. Um, 
Okay, there's a whole lot more we could go into in chapter one, but we're not done. We're going to look a little bit at chapter two before we briefly cut this out. <laughs> um, at the beginning of chapter two, uh, the second story is uh, then we have the second account. How many of you knew that Genesis one and two were two separate d- different counts of creation? Okay, most of you knew that, yeah. The first one, if you noticed, starts with there were waters, the deep, the spirits hovering over a deep chaotic. It's like the image is like a deep chaotic sea, right? You notice that in Genesis chapter one, verse, verse one and two. But then we get to Genesis chapter two, starting in verse four, uh, actually verse five. It says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, right? So very different image, isn't it? One is about waters, and then this one is about what? It's like a, a desert. Dirt. Absolutely nothing, <laughs> but yet dirt. So both are like nothing, but almost equally opposite scenes, which is very interesting. Why? I don't know. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, there's, a, there's several debates on as, as to whether these are just two different traditions that they're both being added or if they're just describing two different, equally, like, intriguing perceptions of what nothing is. Um, nothing as far as the deeps in the sea and something comes out of that. Nothing as far as arid desert and life comes out of that. Um, I think it's interesting. There's more to be ta- taught about that, mm-hmm. which I did not dive into for this. I think um, it, it makes the point, though that you've already mentioned that this passage isn't about how it happened. It's about what happened. And so for us, we look at this and get stressed out because we want to know, was it nothing? It wasn't desert. Like what was it? Was it seven days? Was it millions of years? Um, But God's point is there is nothing and God changed that. Yeah. Yeah. And these contradictions should kind of cue us to the fact that this isn't about how. Um, and that's okay. And that is okay. That is okay. Let let the questions come up and let them point you to something. Like what is this, what is going on here? Rather than just like stuffing down your questions, say oh, I can't do that because that means this. Um, no, let let the text be questionable to you, and let it bring you to um, discovery of who God is. Quote the theme of podcast that Jeff has been doing a lot. You gotta look for the problems in the text. Yeah. They kind of lead you in deeper to find those treasures and those nuggets, if you will. Yeah, yeah. The problems that we find in the text lead us to the nuggets of the text. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay. Um, so I gotta get back on my notes here. I got a little off. Get back on those notes. Get back on those notes. When you fall off the notes, you just gotta get right back on. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna kind of try to shorten this a little bit since we're running out of time. Um, and maybe we can do some work um, another time or on your own, dive into this story a little bit. But this is the story more of Adam and Eve and God creating humanity and the story of that. Um, so uh, first we see this the scene of like desert, arid thing. And then in that, as streams come up, God creates a man in the dust. He uses his hand, like the images, like his hands coming in and, and forming him. And then he breathes his breath or spirit or life into his nostrils and he becomes alive right um 
So then God plants this garden and has Adam work this garden. Um, and then we get this little like scene about rivers. Um, and the Bama Project makes a big deal about that later. We're not going to really dive into that. Um, but it just seems odd that there's this little, little uh, paragraph about four rivers that come out of Eden and they go and water the whole earth. But the image I really like about that is like from the center of God's creation, life is flowing out. And I, I, I think that is, is important. And the Bible kind of brings that up a bunch about um, the hope of a new creation is, is, a little, is really similar to this picture about a river flowing out um, from his center, from him. Um, and so after that, then we get back, we pick up the narrative again with um, God and the man and he's working the garden. Um, but then a very, a very important verse, a very memorable verse, you probably have heard it, verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, we've heard that before. Like, he, man is it's not good by himself. Yeah, we, we're incomplete. Incomplete. There's something missing. God made him, but something was not quite right. Um, and then we get this little paragraph about him naming animals. And uh, uh, he, uh, long story short, a, a helper suitable for Adam is not found among the animals. Right? Dog is not man's best friend. That is not the point here. Um, uh, God makes it very clear that the, the helper suitable for the man is not to be found among the created animals, the beasts. Someone different, someone distinct is, is what Adam needs. And so God then, out of Adam, makes Eve. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, it's important to note that he makes Eve out of Adam. And we don't give, we're not given the name Eve yet. That's actually later. Um, at first, uh, is she is just named woman. Um, he is man. She is woman. Ish and Isha. Uh, yeah, Ish and Isha are the, the names. Um, and they're of the same essence. They're of the same creation. God made Adam and then out of Adam created Eve um, of the same like creation. Mo- and, and it's so critically important for us to understand that um, to see how God made Adam and Eve um, that God took something out of Adam to make Eve and that something that was missing in him is found in this helper that is suitable. And the word there is uh, Azar um, for the helper, suitable. And um, the Bama Project, I really love, they, they use this image of, imagine you have a couple wood planks, right? And uh, if you have two two by fours and you just have one stand up by itself, right? It's really, it falls over really easy. Um, but they then say, like, it's as if the image here is that uh, is equal and yet opposite opposed. When Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, were created in such a way that they're, like, equally yet opposite opposing. And together, then, they can stand. And that's the image that, that uh, rabbinic tradition, they, they, they invoke this image um, to help us understand this word suitable. Um, because the word Ezar, that word for helper, is also the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit or God himself. Like, not, not subservient helper here. This is a, a powerful helper. Um, a, a helper who is of at least equal, if not more, ability than the man. And that suitable word helps bring in the contrast of that when they're together, they are able to stand. Um, and so... 
as we're discovering how God made men and women in this story, um, it seems very important that they were made to need each other. They were not made to be alone. Man was made first here, but only for us to understand this reality of we need each other. One is not more important than the other. They're vitally important. Um, And then in marriage, we're meant to be united in strength in this way, to view each other equally vitally important. Um, So there's so much more there. um, But uh, clearly this, this creation narrative, first about who God is and rest and, and life. And then now here about who we are as men and women. Like it is very important for us to know that God made us with a purpose and intent to not demean each other, to not look down on each other, to not put anyone into subservient perspectives, right? Out of slavery, they're given a new identity. And now as understanding who they are as men and women, they're given equality and, and a really uplifting picture of the necessity of each other. Um, this is really good, and um, I'm sure uh, we could spend a whole lot more time. Um, let me get back to my notes, because that was, I wasn't going to go that deep into that. And we'll talk about that more in one of our future weeks when we look at um, women in the Old Testament. Yeah. So, um, we're almost out of time, um, but I, I hope what you're seeing in Genesis 1 and 2 is an opportunity to read it through maybe fresh eyes, maybe with a little bit deeper understanding of, of how or who God is and why he made us. And with a whole lot more vision about who we are in that. Like a whole lot more like, wow, I am, I am made to delight, uh, to be delighted in God, by God. He made me to rest in him. And he made me to be an equal partner with his creation in men and women. Um, and then, uh, yeah, at some point we'll talk about um, the fall or something. Uh, I think there's some, some big questions there. There's a snake in the, in the garden. That's interesting. Um, but uh, we won't go there today. Um, so that's the end of all of my notes. Um, and I hope this was helpful in understanding um, another narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. So, yeah, anyone have any questions? That, that whole, this whole discussion reminded me of my, I had a biology teacher before the class even started. She was like, for those of you who are religious, like, it doesn't, whatever we talk about doesn't, like, take away from what you believe. She's like, I always like to say science is how, and religion or philosophy is why. So, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Which I, could you maybe expound a little bit? We started this looking at Genesis 1, and, um talking about it it may not be a literal a literal writing it's poetic and we looked at why it's poetic if you were reading this where what would you do to find this because i'm assuming you would not depend on your own ability to look at this and say clearly this is poetry and i know what this means yeah i i would say um we're we're led to ask these questions because we have we we've been taught now that our creation is in a certain order that's a certain age based on science and all these things and so basically i'm saying is that has brought us up to ask a question of have i understood the bible right is science wrong what's going on here and we can either not be thoughtful and just assume we have read it the right way or they've 
misunderstood it or flip it. Or we can let this expose some problems. And then, then from there, it's like, okay, maybe this isn't seven days. Is there another way? And Daniel, you mentioned a, a verse that might be helpful in kind of peaking that as like a day is like a thousand years to, to God and a thousand years is like a day. So there's something about time in God that he's somehow outside of it. And that, that can like give us a next step of like maybe understanding this a different way. And then we looked, said uh, there are literary styles that we should look out for as we're reading ancient literature or if we're reading any literature, we should look for literary styles um, and poetry uh, often uses certain things like repetition and rhythm, and so. Um, so, did you decide that this was poetry? How do you know that this was poetry? Uh, I have heard from others who said maybe this is poetry, but have then given me cues. Caitlin. Oh, I was gonna say, um, in terms of looking at your Bible and poetry, what well, we read from the NIV today, and I realize this maybe one community, but like often they typically format poetry differently. So that's something worth noting to help us see it. Um, a lot of our Bibles aren't translated with poetry in mind. Um, yeah. Even though a lot of Bibles are poetry, though they do think about that and take that into account. So, um, at least in the NIV, they typically do um, indentations for different lines to help you see that. In other ways, oh, sorry. No, go for it. Um, like you said, the repetition. But then there's also the, not, I mean, you can, because we have the internet, it's really cool, look at like the original Hebrew text if you want, and maybe you can't read Hebrew, but often they'll have transliteration. You can see that there might be a lot of alliteration, so repeated sounds, there might be things that look like they rhyme, and they probably do. Um, so those are also easy enough to look at. I think it's also worth noting that none of us know enough of the original the Bible or the original Bible to read a passage and say, I like, this is definitely poetry. And I think you referenced several sources in the importance of going to theologians, going to people who are smarter than us and have been studying this mm -hmm. for decades um, to help us establish, like, I have questions. I don't understand morning and evening. I don't understand why Genesis one and two don't line up. I don't understand why creation and science seem to clash and, looking at what theologians say, looking at what other people say in order to understand this. Because we're not rewriting the Bible. We are learning from those who have studying have studied this for a long time and have a better understanding of it. Yeah, and um, the reason I reference the Bama Project, um, when I think they do a good job, but something he, that uh, Marty, the guy, the lead guy of Bama, he did was to he went and studied under a rabbi who was f very familiar with the Hebrew and the familiar with these texts um, to kind of grasp maybe there is a uh, some some things he's just missed and um, and asked some questions of traditions that have been passed down um, from um, I believe it was a messianic uh, Jewish rabbi that he learned from um, and so yeah so he went to people who understood this stuff. And then is is doing a lot of work to try to bring it to others, um, to share it. And so, um, reading people who uh, are well versed in what's original and 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 just I mean you can even Google. Google is not a bad way of diving into this. You just also have to look at a whole bunch of different things as you're googling to make sure that you're not just getting into an echo chamber and finding the things that you want to find. 
um, and then you get closed up, you don't ever see outside arguments. But Google can be a very helpful source in getting uh, other sources that you wouldn't have found on your own. Um, Blue, yeah. Blue Letter Bible is a like, free thing that it has the uh, translation, commentaries, Bible dictionaries, a bunch of like resources, and it's all free. Yeah, Blue Letter Bible, if that wasn't, didn't come through, Blue Letter Bible is a great resource. Got a question or a stretch? Um, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of like religion and science, it's also worth noting that before like maybe the past couple of centuries, a lot of one the idea of the earth being older was thought of by Christians. Like most of these ideas that maybe we take for granted as being opposed to depending on our church tradition. Um a lot of them were thought of or conceived of or even considered by Christians, so they're not like separate mm-hmm. in terms of church history and science. Um, so a lot of the great advances we have today, mm-hmm. even in the age of the earth, was, or even like the Big Bang being a moment of time, was thought of by Christians. So like, this isn't even to say you need to accept these things as fact, it's to say that they're not opposed and have historically worked together. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So read. That's really like just just read, read lots of things and learn. Um, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a learner. Um, and so let's be active in that. And this, hopefully, this was helpful in knowing how to start that process. If you want to be with us live for the XA Learning Hour, come to the UWM Student Union, room W145 at 1.30 on Thursdays. Thanks for listening.